Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. If uh, you're unfamiliar with uh, the scriptures, uh, no big deal. There's a table of contents in the beginning of your Bible. And uh, one of the first few pages will have a table of contents. Philippians in, is, a, is a letter written to a church, and it exists in a portion of this Bible called uh, the New Testament. And uh, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. And uh, what we're doing this evening is we're, com- we're continuing our vision and our values series. And uh, we're getting to value number seven. Value number seven, which is we are a people filled with hope and joy. We are people filled with hope and joy. So uh, let's read this together. Philippians chapter 4. Look down at your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in uh, verse 4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. When I was in uh, high school, before I became a Christian, um, like probably many people who are in high school or you remember when you were in high school, this was the case, I had these intense levels of anxiety. Um, I don't know if it was social, I think sometimes it was social anxiety, like how am I, how do I appear, what do people think about me? Um, But I just had this general sense of what if life is meaningless, and it just, it really collided for me when I was 16. I remember just having this sense of depression. I would, I would come home from something fun with my friends, seeing a movie, hanging out, whatever it was, and I would think, that was so awesome. I was like high on the moment, 
And then I would think to myself, but now what? But now what? I, now I'm alone in my room, and the fun moment wasn't enough for me. It didn't really last for me. It was just that moment that I had with my friends, and then it was over. And I remember beginning to think, like, what is the purpose of all of this? What is the purpose of life? I, I, I thought, like, is it to just try to have as many fun things happen? Is that the purpose of life? I remember looking out and seeing people pursued power, or they pursued fame, or they per pursued money or wealth, and I thought, as a 16-year-old, none of that really interests me. I just kind of want to have fun with my friends, but is that enough to stake an entire life on? See, my entire life at that point had become uh, the life of someone on a hedonic treadmill. How many of you guys ever heard that term before, a hedonic treadmill? You know what hedonism is? It's the pursuit of pleasure, and a treadmill is a machine that you run on and you never get anywhere. And so my whole life had become this pursuit of pleasure, new pleasure here, new pleasure here. What about this? I haven't tried that. There are those people over there that find that very interesting. Maybe if I do that, but I was never actually getting anywhere in life. I was just spinning my gears. And I just had this diminishing level of hope that there had to be something more than what I was experiencing. I was like, maybe this is just it. And so when I was uh, 17 years old and I put my trust in God, I made that choice to not lean on my own reasoning of the purpose of life, but instead I chose to put my, lean all of my life onto his reasoning, his words about what the purpose of life were. The primary thing to leave in my life was my depression and my anxiety, like that. And really, the, like, the motivating factor for me in giving myself fully over to God was the possibility of joy. It was like just the possibility, I've tried everything, Lord. Maybe you have joy, and so I will give myself to you to see if it's really possible. I was compelled by joy. I was so motivated by joy. See, the idea that there could be happiness that wasn't based on a fun moment or wealth or pleasure, but a happiness that could stand the test that of anything that life threw at it was intoxicating to me. Is it possible? And so I found that as I gave more of my life to God, I received more purpose, I received joy, and I had hope in proportional measure to my life being given over to him. So tonight's value is we are a people filled with hope and with joy. Now, this value is a little bit different than the other ones because it's really twofold in purpose. The, the first reason for having this as a value, one of our 10 core values that really animate and are the foundation for our church, is that it's a prophetic declaration it's a prophetic declaration. We are going to be a people of joy. We are going to be a people of hope. Um, but also it's a prophetic declaration because it was one of the first things I heard uh, from the Lord about this church plant and about what it would function as here in the town of Newburgh. See, um, the, the first time my wife and I were, when we were thinking about planting a church, we were going, okay, God, give us a people and a place. Where do you want us to go? And for probably a year, we were in this just wrestling of like, should we go there? Should we go there? No peace on that. No peace on that. Where are we going to go? We know we're supposed to plant a church. Lord, give us a people and a place. And there was a night where I came home uh, from youth ministry. I was a youth pastor at the time. There was a night I'd come home from youth ministry, and uh, I'm, I'm talking to my wife, and I'm just frustrated. 
where, what are we doing and where are we going? We need the five-year plan. We have no plan. And my wife just looked at me and she said, you know, we love Newburgh so much and we had even joked about retiring here someday. We thought that'd be kind of a fun place to retire, just drink wine and maybe hang out with college kids and who knows, you know? That's like, if you're old and you want to stay young, those are two things to do. So it's like, maybe, maybe one day we'll, we'll be in Newburgh. And I remember my wife, told, she looked at me when I came home and she said, what if we're supposed to go to Newburgh sooner in life than we thought? And it was like, in a moment, just like, whoa. There was peace on that. Well, the next day, we got on a plane to Reading to go visit Jacob and Becky. Uh, they were living down in Reading at the time. And while I'm on this plane, I mean, I had been up all night. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't, like, sleeping. I was just so excited thinking about Newburgh, thinking about, I went to Fox. I had all these ideas about what God would want to do here in this town. And so I'm, we're, as we're on the plane, I'm kind of, like, in and out of sleep. I sleep on planes. It's a gift. Uh, I'm, like, in and out of sleep, and... I just hear the, I, I see um, in my mind's eye, I see the hills that are right here. If we were to just tear this wall down, you'd see the hills right there. I see the hill, and I see this giant, beautiful, um, kind of almost like rug woven material just draping over the hill. And I hear the Lord say to me, He says, Alex, I am exchanging a, a, a um, I'm exchanging joy and I'm exchanging hope for a spirit of despair. And I was like, whoa. Because I, I don't know how many of you guys know this. Newburgh is actually a really thriving town right now. But um, growing up, I grew up in Sherwood. This was not the most thriving town. It had somewhat of a depressed economy. It was a, a small town. Not a lot was going on business-wise. And the wine industry has really changed a lot of that. But I remember just thinking, wow, like exchanging despair for hope, for joy. Um, and it just it captured my imagination. And so I knew that this was one of the things that I wanted to found this church on, was that this church would be known for a place of hope and a place of joy. And I know that for many of you, this is one of your highlights of the week is coming here because you meet with him and he's full of hope, he's full of joy. It's like, oh man, I love church. It's my favorite night of the, of the whole week. Um, but secondly, the, the second part of this value that is a little bit unique than our other ones is that it describes the evidence of believing the truth. So it's prophetic in nature. When we speak it out, we say we're a church of, filled with hope and joy. There's a prophetic aspect to that. This is what God intends to do through this church. But there's also this other aspect that this value describes the evidence of believing the truth. And so it is inherently a call to believe the truth again. When we say we're a people full of hope and joy, and you're like, I don't have any hope, I don't have any joy, there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about it tonight. Because hope and joy are evidence, they're marks of what you believe. I really felt this week that the Lord was telling me, he said, hope and joy are marks that cannot be put on like makeup or faked, but they are evidence of the gospel taking deep root in someone's life. So you can't actually get hope or joy unless you actually believe the truth. You know, we just prayed for joy. How many of you guys understand? You can pray for joy, it's legal. God will give you joy despite your circumstance. But if you have a way of thinking and believing that undoes joy and infuses anxiety and depression, how many of you guys understand you're gonna lose, that joy is gonna go away? So it's very important that we understand joy comes from what we believe. It's evidence. Hope comes from what we believe. It's evidence. So this is a simple call tonight. We are the people of hope because Jesus has defeated death, very simply. And we are a people of joy because Jesus has given us his spirit. So just two points tonight. I know I like to go three. 
There's just two. Just two this evening. We have joy because of present partnership. And we have hope because of future victory. We have joy because of present partnership. And we have hope because of future victory. I want to take each of these in turn. Joy because of present partnership. In the passage we just read, Paul is is writing this. He was an apostle. While in prison, he's writing this. And he says, rejoice all the time. (laughs) No matter what. That is some argumental clout right there. It's like, I don't even know what to do with that, Paul. It's like, all the time. I mean, you're in prison, so yeah, I guess that means all the time. How can he say that? How can he command us to not be anxious? How can he command us to rejoice in all circumstances? Well, see, that command would be nonsense, or it would just be a mind-over-matter exercise unless we understood what Paul had and what we can have. And actually, Paul gives us clues. Like, what did Paul have? What was this guy on? Like, what did he have in that prison? And he gives us these clues. Verse 5, he says, the Lord is near. Clue number 1. Verses 8 through 9, he says, think about heavenly things, and the gospel of Jesus, and the God of peace will be what? With you. Okay? Verses 12 through 13, he says this, I know the secret to being content. It's through him who gives me strength. These are like little little itty-bitty breadcrumbs leading us to the same thing that he had. What is it? It's a lifestyle of hosting God. It's a lifestyle of his spirit with us. Now, if you want to know more about that, value number four for our church is that we have the privilege of hosting the Father's presence. And Donnie, one of our elders, gave a great message a few weeks back. You can catch it on the podcast. But we have joy because we are able through the Holy Spirit to sense God in this life. How many of you guys believe God is still speaking? Yeah, he is. I hear stories, I have testimonies uh, from you of God speaking things to you, you making a decision to do something in your life being radically changed because of it. You guys just shared a cool story with me, I won't share it up here, but, but there are testimonies constantly about you guys hearing from God. He still speaks. We have the privilege of having his involvement in our lives like Paul had. We almost, um, I remember Jake and I, you probably remember this, we were joking about this uh, back a couple years ago, that we almost called this value, we are a happy church. <laughs> but none of you guys, you guys would have been like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but, 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 but think about this, because our attitude reveals so much about what we're believing about God in our present circumstances. Our attitudes are like, they're, they're evidence for people when they look at our lives. What are they actually believing And if we have a stinky attitude, that's actually evidence. It is. Think about this. An irritable Christian. How many of you guys have ever met an irritable Christian? I'm glad my wife isn't here. She'd be raising her hand. How many of you guys have ever met an unkind Christian? No one's met an... Okay, look, you met me. I'm an unkind Christian sometimes. How many of you guys, you've met a stressed out Christian? That, yeah, that one. That is a stressed out Christian. Oh my gosh. These are things that we may experience, but as believers, it is our job to bring ourselves back into alignment with truth. See, our attitudes, they show our cards. They reveal the beliefs that have framed our lives. If I'm irritable, if I'm unkind, if I'm stressed out, get this, you're going to like this, 
I need to ask this question, what am I trying to protect? What am I trying to control that isn't working the way I want? If I'm irritable, if I'm, if I'm stressed out, if I'm unkind, what am I trying to protect? What am I trying to control that isn't working the way that I want? And so if we don't have the fruit of believing correctly, if we don't have hope, we don't have joy, then we need to ask this question. Do I have a pursuit in my life that doesn't have his truth or his peace attached to it? Like, like okay, so many... <laughs> I'm going to think about how I want to say this because I'm not trying to be hard on you guys or myself. So many people, did you like that? Laura liked that. Um, Christians, they're like, I'm doing everything for God. I'm serving God. I'm giving for God. I sponsor a child for God. I go to church during a pandemic for God. And I'm so stressed out. I'm so irritable. Oh. And the question that I always have is it's like, you realize that when you became a Christian, he didn't just give you like a pamphlet and say, hey, here's what it looks like to be a disciple. He actually gave us a principle. And the principle is this. I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. So you have to ask yourself this question. If you're stressed out, if you're irritable, and if you're unkind... If the fruit of your life does not reveal a correct belief system, the question is, have I pursued things that he's not doing? Am I saying things that he's not saying? Because sometimes what we call ministry is actually taking responsibility for things he hasn't asked you to take responsibility for. So it's so important that we go, okay, I, I, okay. I talk to so many pastors, and they're like, is this not the most stressful season you've ever had? And I'm like, no. They're like, but it's so crazy. The state cracking down on the church. Or I just can't get people to wear masks when they come to church. And they're like, it seems like every day I'm making a decision. Should I do this? Or should we do this? Uh, It's not stressful because I don't do things that I haven't heard him ask me to do. And when 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 I do that, that's what Jesus did. When I do that, guess what happens? His grace comes attached with it. It says in the Old Testament in one of the prophets that his words never return void. They accomplish what they intended to do. Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So if I'm not living on his words, but I think I'm doing ministry, I don't have the grace for his words to accomplish what they intended to do in my life. As believers, here's what we have in Christ. Look at this. This is so good. We have purpose and partnership. That's what we're talking about. We have identity and peace with self. 
You know, this whole, there's this kind of a movement of like self-love and, and some Christians are like, whoa, that's so new age and bad. No, actually, Jesus was the inventor of self-love. Love people, like you have to love people, it, you have to love yourself and love people the same way. So actually, when you come into Christ and you understand his love for you, you go, oh my gosh, I can actually have peace with myself. And I'm gonna, because I can now have the same grace that God has for me, for myself. You get absolution from all grime and sin we're right with God. We become right with God. So that when you stand before him, I never have to come into church and go, Ugh, I haven't really done great this last week. Sorry, God. I get to go, actually, I'm justified, sanctified. My whole life, I have a banner over it that says, that's my son. And so every time I come to the Lord, I get to walk in confidence. I have a, we have a future of love that will last. How many of you guys know that whenever you love something, you open yourself up to, in this life, loss? I'll be flicking through the photos of my new baby girl, and I'm just going, oh man, my heart is so much more vulnerable than it was six months ago. Because there's a new amount of love that I have in this life, and now I've opened myself up to loss. But the story of Christianity is this. We are looking to a future where love lasts. We are looking to a future where love does not end. Now, if these things are true, then we should be the happiest people ever, right? We can laugh in the face of calamity. We can take risks and know that it won't, it won't touch our value before God. We know that our lives have meaning and aren't just, we're not just pieces of meat floating in a meaningless universe. Quite an image. See, uh, our... <laughs> Our joy is actually dependent upon these truths. It's not random. You don't just like stumble onto joy. There's a reason for joy. And, and I want to show you even more. Here's what Nehemiah uh, 8 verse 10 says. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So write this down. You will never be stronger than your joy. Psalm 1611 says this, in his presence is fullness of joy. You will not find joy outside of his presence. So here's what I want you guys to do. You're gonna, you're gonna say this with me. We're gonna do a little declaration. Let's, let's put your hand over your heart. Let's declare this. He has connected my strength to joy and my joy to his presence which I can have in any circumstance. Let's say it again. He has connected my strength to joy and my joy to his presence, which I can have in any circumstance. That's good news. People with joy like that cannot be controlled by what controls most humans. People with joy like that cannot be controlled by what controls most humans. And, and, and here's what I mean. Joy is so rare that many use its absence in the life of others to control them. Think about the advertising industry. What is an advertisement? An advertisement is essentially an image of the shining life that you want. The shining image that has a product attached to it. And because you don't have joy, you're lured into the advertisement, to the image. And you go, oh my gosh, well maybe if I had that toothbrush, then I would have a spouse like that. <laughs> and you're like, oh, then I'd have joy. 
Because your lack of joy opened you up to be controlled by crest. But the joyful person is uncontrollable. You can't control the, the joyful person because they don't play by the same rules of lack that everybody else plays by. So, the joyful person is actually the most trustworthy person. Why? Because you can trust that they're not going to use the same methods of manipulation on others because the joyful person longs for others to simply have what they have. Uh, one of my favorite books, and, and, and definitely my favorite book within the Chronicles of Narnia, is The Silver Chair. Yes. Silver Chair, best one. And there's this moment at the very beginning where Eustace, who's been a pretty mean-spirited kid in the past, uh, he's talking with this schoolmate named Jill. And Jill says, you know, Eustace, everyone is noticing how much you changed over the summer. You're like a completely different person. And then she says this. She says, it's not only me, said Jill. Everyone's been saying so. They've noticed it. Eleanor heard Adela talking about it in our changing room yesterday. She said, someone's got to get a hold of that Eustace kid. He's quite unmanageable this term. We shall have to attend to him next. What happened to Eustace over the summer? He met Aslan. He met God and so he actually can't be managed by the same old school hierarchy any longer. Yeah. It doesn't work on him. He's hopeful. His identity is settled. He's full of joy. And so he's free. Yeah. He's free. See, joy produces freedom because it doesn't need anything to happen or change in order to increase. It has a source that is unlimited, God's presence, and so the person with joy can't be controlled by others or by circumstances. Uh, Catholic theologian Peter Kreeft, he says this, fearlessness comes from heavenly joy. Joyless people are weak, weary, and apathetic, bowled over by little things, especially personal relationships. They interpret teasing as an insult, play as irresponsibility, and disagreement as personal attack. It's miserable to live without joy, isn't it? And that's why I'm so thankful none of us in this room have to. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, which comes from simply being close to the vine. Remember, say it again, put your hand over your heart. He has connected my strength to joy and my joy to his presence which I can have in any circumstance. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the left to John chapter 15. John 15, that's really the fourth, what I like to call documentary of the life of Christ. It's a little snapshot we get into his life. And uh, this will be a passage that many of you are likely familiar with, but John 15, and we're gonna begin in verse seven. I wanna show you uh, just how, how powerful joy is and just how central joy is to the life of every believer. It says this, John 15, verse 7. If you remain in me, Jesus speaking, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Everybody say fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, everybody say this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So here's the question I want to ask you tonight. How do we get our joy complete? How do we get complete joy in us? Verse 11, what does he say? He says, I have told you this, say this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So the question is this, what is this? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Well, this is actually what he just said. So follow me. Our joy is going to be complete from what Jesus just said. And here's what he just said. We didn't read all of this, but I know it's a familiar verse for a lot of you. Here's what he just said. Your life as a believer is supposed to relate to God in two ways. You should write these down if you haven't written these down before. In two ways. The first way it's supposed to relate to God is like a branch to a vine. That's the first metaphor he gives in here. The way that your life is to relate to God is like a branch relates to a vine. The second way that your life is to relate to God is like a branch to a gardener. So we relate to God, according to this passage, like a branch relates to a vine and like a branch relates to a gardener. So what does that mean? What what is he getting at? Well, firstly, our job is to simply receive the nutrients of God. That's how we relate to him, like a branch to a vine. What does a branch to a vine do? It just gets whatever the vine gets, it just receives it. Secondly, we're to relate like a branch to a gardener. So what does that mean? We, are, we have a responsibility to get pruned, cut by his words. Okay? Now then he says this. Look down at your Bibles, verse 7. He says, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Think that branch vine metaphor. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Okay, what is fruit in this context? In this context, fruit is answered prayer. It's ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It's my Father's will that you bear fruit. What is fruit? It's answered to prayer. So when we say... I just want to receive what you have for me. I want to be a branch to the vine. And when we say, and I'll let your words cut me and prune me, clean me, Lord. When we delight then in the asking of our Father for things and seeing him do those things, then Jesus says, I've told you that, this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. What was Jesus' joy? What is his joy? It's this process that he's giving us insight into. It's partnership with the Father, asking, staying connected, being pruned, asking whatever you wish and seeing it done for you. See, Jesus doesn't ask things of us that he hasn't done. And so what did Jesus do? He remained connected to the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. He let himself get pruned. You're like, where? If this cup can pass for me, let it be done but not my will, your will be done. He, he sought to bear fruit, to, to pray and to see people be healed, saved, and delivered. And so he tells us his secret to joy here. You want joy in your life? Stay receiving and do missions with God. Stay receiving. Cut me with your words. Give me whatever you want to give me. I'll stay looking at you, Lord, 
and I'm going to ask you for everything. And I just can't wait to see what you do through our relationship. When you do that, you will have his joy, and your joy will be complete. The catch for many Christians is that the instant that we exit that branch vine relationship, we often then begin to celebrate the act of prayer instead of the lifestyle of communication, of receiving and pruning. And when we begin to celebrate an act over a relationship, joyless religion has just begun in our lives. And then what we do, to make it even worse, is we give it permission to stay by calling this frustrating struggle with the discipline of prayer sanctification. Just being sanctified. Just gotta discipline myself, man. I've just seen the bad fruit. And so I just must not be doing enough. When in truth, we were intended to have our joy complete by having the same connection with the Father that Jesus had. And so we reduce a relationship to a list of things that we do to know that we're good with him. Does that sound like joy? I don't think so. To the degree that you stay connected to his words, connected to his presence, you will experience peace and joy. It's right there. So let's renew the mind. God has three jobs for your whole life. You got three jobs. Here's what they are. Receive from him love, peace, goodness, identity. Let his words cut away what hinders his fruit and then ask him for everything. Ask him for everything. He's a good father. He knows how to give good gifts. He's a big boy. He can tell you no. Ask him for everything. And I promise that when you do this, his joy will be the result. So we're people of joy. We're also people of hope. We have hope because of future Victory. I'm not going to spend as much time on this. I gave a message a few weeks back called Number Your Days, and I touched on this. So if you're interested in what the future for every believer is, especially with all of the calamity going on around us, uh, it was a pertinent thing to address. And so you can find that on our podcast as well. But we have a hope because of the future we share as believers. I want you to just close your eyes, and I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you're a soldier. You're all grimy and dirty, just got done with a battle, just finished one of the toughest battles you've ever been through. And you know there's another battle coming someday, but that night, in the camp, there's a general who's visiting. Now you and others, you listen in as he shares over dinner about the treaty that he and some other generals just signed, and that, though there's some skirmishes that may break out in the near future, the war is essentially over. It would be so filling, so inspiring. You couldn't help but hope. You couldn't help but imagine what coming home would be like, who you're gonna see, what you're gonna eat. Go ahead and open your eyes. This is what we have with the Holy Spirit. We get to commune with the victor. We get to spend time with someone who has seen things for what they really are and knows what is coming. How, how many of you guys have ever heard the phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory? I've heard that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory? Nobody over here. Two people over here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, all right. What does that mean? It sounds really good. It's like, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Like, whoa. 
That sounds cool. What does that mean? Well, it is naturally a future-oriented verse that is essentially saying this, glory is coming. Glory is, is the future for every believer, and it is Christ in you that reminds you daily of the future reality you have coming for you. That glory awaits. What's glory? It's his presence. It's our purity being with God face to face. It is your awareness of his presence that confirms the hope that we have. It's Christ in you, my awareness of that, that confirms this hope of glory that I have in my life. So our hope isn't random or optimism, but it's the reminder of our future glory by his presence that we sense now. It's having dinner with the victor. It's having dinner with the victor. And we get to do it every day. I, I want to show you something that, that's, that's pretty cool. This is Psalm 23. I feel like we're like a Psalm 23 church. Everything that like always comes back to Psalm 23. Um, but but I, I want to show you something that maybe you haven't seen before. It says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Why would God do that? Have you ever thought about that? Why would he prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies? See, because I would think, like, if it's just me and I've been walking through the valley of the shadow of death, so to speak, uh, I would think, let's find a place away from my enemies, and then you can make me dinner there. So why in the presence of your enemies? Celebration on this side of resurrection reminds the enemy of his ultimate defeat. See, God is interested in raising up a fearless people through hope in him. So he actually has to go to the places where you don't have hope and you have a lot of fear and he has to prepare the meal there so that he can show you just how powerful and intentional he is. So he can equip you to become the kind of person that makes the enemy quiver. I once heard somebody say this. If crows were smart, they would go where there are scarecrows. You're like, whoa, that is some galaxy brain stuff. <laughs> Never going to go to a pumpkin patch the same. Uh, if crows were smart, they would go where there are scarecrows. Why? Because scarecrows show crows where the feast is. <laughs> nice, Chad. That's a good, I mean, that is deep right there, huh? <laughs> Oftentimes, our biggest fears about life are actually the places where the Lord would like to prepare a dinner for you two to talk victory in front of the enemy. And so our biggest fears actually show us where God is going to provide and where hope will prevail. They become the scarecrows of our life, and you're like, ooh, he's about to prepare something right there. Because in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table for me. Having this awareness, we position ourselves to encounter God in the most unlikely of places. And we position ourselves for a correct Jesus worldview. So I want to end with this, a miraculous worldview. Hope and joy are not natural to this world. They do not result from a naturalist worldview. See, hope requires something beyond death. And joy requires a source outside of this world. Can't be dependent on circumstance. There are really two different worldviews that exist in the West. Um, and Charles Taylor put it this way in his book, A Secular Age. He said, there's a worldview that essentially is a box. Imagine a box, and the box is closed. 
And that's the worldview of most people in the West. It's like we have a closed system. There's no, nothing supernatural can get in. Everything is explainable. There's no God, and he's not doing anything in our world today. But the other worldview in the West is one that probably many of you have. It's a box with a lid that's open. And you actually believe that God could reach into your world and do things. That's why we pray. That's why we prophesy, why we pray for healing. We actually believe God speaks and can do things in our world today. And so that's the other kind of worldview that you find in the West. And, and the reality is this, is that hope and joy only exist for those who have a lid that's ajar. Can't get it with a lid that's closed. They speak of a source that's beyond the natural. And so here's what I want to show you. The miraculous, healing, signs, wonders produce both hope and joy because it develops in us an accurate biblical worldview, an open box. Jesus knew this. To get a biblical worldview, you need the miraculous. Here's some evidence, some Bible evidence. Here we are. Jesus went on to tell them, his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Many of you guys know the story. Lazarus is a good friend. Mary and Martha, his sisters, get a hold of him and say, Lazarus has died. Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples are like, why do we, that dude can wake up from a nap. They say like, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. What? That's weird. He's glad he wasn't there? <laughs> like he could have maybe kept Lazarus from dying. Like that's pretty traumatic to die. We know the end of the story that this guy's gonna wake up from the dead, but it's like, you're happy that you weren't there? Have you ever heard that and thought, that's, that's a little bit strange? Why? Why is he happy that he wasn't there? Because he wanted to form the disciples' worldview around his power. Just look at what he says. He says, I'm, I'm glad, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may what? Believe. So that you may have a worldview that is correct. He wanted them to witness the miraculous in order to get a worldview centered around hope and joy because they expected him to show up in their life. Their lid was open. Because people with fear, who live by fear with a closed lid, rarely change the world. And these men, after this moment, they turned the world upside down, according to people in the book of Acts. So, we have two calls at Saints Hill this evening. We have two calls to become an encouraging people and a miraculous people. An encouraging people and a miraculous people. Here in Newburgh, at your workplace, in your home, in your dorm room, encouraging and miraculous. Hope doesn't always come from us believing on our own, just trying to go like, I'm gonna just really hope. Um, the thing about hope is that it actually can be contagious. Sometimes there's this inciting incident, a spark from someone else where they choose to encourage you, they choose to share a testimony with you, they choose to just come alongside you, and next thing you know, hope explodes out of your life. And I actually believe that this is a unique role for Saints Hill here in Newburgh. It's a unique role that we have. And I, I want and to show you this, I want to show you what happens when we dedicate ourselves to encouragement. Isaiah 35 says this, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. 
He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Now, watch God's response to our encouragement. When we strengthen feeble hands and we steady weak knees and we speak life over people, watch what happens. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's powerful. All from a word of encouragement. Look at the effect. I want to put forth to you this evening that when you encourage someone, when you give someone hope through a word or a deed, you have just marked them for God to break through in a supernatural way and to add to your encouragement a new worldview. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church. And the yoke is so much easier.